on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Our guidelines for living is also from Colossians 1. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Continue our worship, you please stand if you can, and let's share in our choruses as we sing. rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still a king reigning over all, so I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the ancient of days.
Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for the wonderful gift that you've given in Jesus Christ. That he came out of heaven, not having to, but doing so because of his compulsion for his love for you. And that, Lord, that we know that we have eternal life because of that gift that you've given to us. Lord, receive these gifts as these folks have given out of their hearts of genuine love to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for the wonderful privileges that we have in this great place called America. We give you glory and honor and praise for being such a great God. And as it was sent in this praise, that we thank you for dying on the cross for us. We who fail every day, and yet you have picked up the tab for us and washed away our sins. We thank you for, Lord, that you, we can be obedient to you. And we thank you for being obedient, Jesus, to God, to come to this earth and to leave the beauty of heaven. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you with those who we know that are struggling in their lives. We think of our Shuddens, we think of Bill, and we think of Evelyn and Louise and Karen and Kay and Joyce. Those who are struggling with illnesses, Lord. We think of our friend Larry who comes here and who lost his sister this week. And I pray uh, as they make the arrangements for this uh, beautiful 40-year-old Lord that they can uh, praise God for her life. I pray also for her stepdad Bob and his needs being met. I pray also too for a marriage, Lord, that uh, is, is, Lord, I pray right now that your hand will be upon that and bring healing to it. That you'll open the eyes of those who don't understand and see that there's no other option but following you and living together as husband and wife and under Christ. I pray that you'll heal that marriage and bring strength to it. And that, Lord, you'll do a wonderful thing and just give patience and strength for those who wait. That they wait upon the Lord will receive the strength that they need. As you promised in Isaiah, they will mount up on wings as eagles, not run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. I pray for that. I pray also too for a friend who's gonna be a kidney donor, take away his apprehensions. I pray for another friend who's gone blind and uh, has, has to have brain surgery. I pray also too, Lord, for Angie O'Gile. As uh, Lord, she's battling cancer right now, I just pray for her healing. I pray for Don who's had a knee surgery and for healing for his knee. I pray also, too, for Samantha, Mama, and she battles her brain cancer. Be with her mom and dad. We pray for healing for her. We pray also, too, Lord, for John and his difficulties that he's having right now. I pray for Betty's sister as, uh, for healing for her and also for the uh, battle she will have now with the chemotherapy. I pray for Sarah for her healing. And I pray, Father God, too, that you'll be with those who are struggling in other areas of life, Lord. Lord, that you'll hear their prayers as they give them to you, Christ. 
I pray for our singles, Lord, and for them as they date and meet other people, Lord. They, they have godly uh, hearts, and may they build godly families. I pray for our young people, Lord, who, Lord, as the dating game goes on, and there's so much out there, and there's so much foolishness, that you provide them with a woman or a man of God that will uh, work together and, and love you, Christ, with all your hearts. And we pray, Father God, too, for um, <clears throat> our city, and the things that are going on in it, Lord, I pray for protection for our family here. I pray also too, Lord God, that um, uh, for our nation, especially right now, Lord, uh, all the stuff that's going on, Lord, you know what needs to be done. We ask for your divine guidance and that people will listen in government that have the power and will obey you, Lord. And now, Father God, I pray for this message, Lord, as we come to your word. We need you to feed us, Lord. We need to hear what you have to say, not what we want to hear, but what you have to say for us. And it's through Jesus Christ I pray this. Amen. Have you ever wondered what you're going to look like after you die? You ever wonder what you're going to look like when you're resurrected from the dead? What age will you be at that time? What about an aborted baby? What age will that baby be? What age will be for the child that's lost in birth? How about those that have been incinerated in 9-11? What will their bodies look like? Or maybe you've had a relative that you've had incinerated. What about being in an ocean, being attacked by a group of sharks? One leg goes with one shark, another arm goes with another shark. What happens to that body? What happens to the person who dies at 98 and their body's crippled, shriveled up, barely able to move? You know, these questions are not new. These are questions that were asked in the Middle Ages. Augustine asked these questions. In fact, one of the questions they would quander over. What happens if a missionary gets eaten by a bunch of cannibals? What happens to their bodies? Today we're looking at the Corinthians. They've had questions about their immortality. What's going to happen with them after they die? What will they look like? They were living in a society, of course, you know, where they had three problems Paul addressed in this book. There were many things that he dealt with. But three major problems that he dealt with. Number one was an I, which means immorality. We know that some of the men from the Bible study at church and that Paul had spent a year and a half to bring this church into existence. But there was Aphrodite's temple, the sex goddess up on the mountain. And Shay would send a thousand prostitutes every night. And some of the men in the church would get involved. And Paul deals with immorality. He deals with a situation where there was somebody in the church who was in, having an incestuous relationship with their mother. And then there was another situation that he talked about marriage. And the importance of marriage. And a man becomes, man and woman become one. And Paul deals with that in this great book because there were problems. There was unfaithfulness. There were things going on. Then also, too, another second eye that he was dealing with was in the immaturity. Some people were bringing their um, food to the potluck dinners and were not sharing them. And there were church people who didn't have food to bring. And so they were hiding them from the people. Then they were also playing celebrity games. They wanted their preacher more above than another one, which is, again, another immaturity. And then they were given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to minister unto the flock. And instead of ministering unto the flock, they use it for their ego boost. And were bragging about what they were going to do with their spiritual gifts. But then was the immortality. The immortality, and they lived in the Greek culture. And Paul is talking to them about the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's background here, the Greek city did not believe in a resurrection. They believed once you died, you died. And there were three groups of philosophers that were around in that day. 
And the resurrection was laughed at when Paul presented it. They laughed at him in Acts chapter 17. And Paul knew the struggles. Now Paul also understood that the problems that they were having with this immortality. Because you see, the philosophy of hedonism was around in that time. It doesn't matter what you do with your body or your soul, that you're just going to die and that's it. So you might as well live it up now and do whatever you want. Live crazy. The second philosophy was philosophy of pantheism. That it doesn't matter as long as your spirit is in good shape and you have good thoughts, you can do whatever you want with the body because you're going to go back into the soul of God. And you're going to float around just like it is today in the New Age movement. But then there was a third, which was Plato, brought into the fix. He said, no, you do have a soul and you're going to live on. The body will die off. And it was basically Gnosticism remaked. And they said, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. But Paul said, no. Quite the contrary. That not only is our spirit important, but your body will be resurrected also. And what you do with your body is so vitally important that you take care of it. And then you don't join in with a prostitute because your body is the temple of Jesus Christ. And so Paul speaks about the gospel. Yes, he talks about the gospel. He says, yes, Christ died. He was buried and rose again. And because of that, our sins can be forgiven. And we do go to him when we fall. But he says, as Christians, we want to live for Christ. That's our goal and our aim. And he talks about the resurrection. And last time we were together, he did the what ifs. What if we aren't raised from the dead? He played the devil's advocate. Earlier on that week before, he spoke about what are the evidences of the resurrection. He spoke about the changes of life that people had in Corinth. He showed himself as a changed person who was a persecutor and killer of Christians. And now he was totally changed because he met Jesus Christ. The second thing he said was that historically, we see in the past the prophecies that were given hundreds of years ago about what would take place with Jesus. That he was born of a virgin. That he would come on a donkey's mule. A virgin will come. All this was prophesied hundreds of years and it actually took place. And that's why we as Christians are a historical faith. Not only do we have great teachings about life and living life in general, but also the word of God also speaks as says history. And that means something that took place at main event. And that's why when Paul finishes his, up, his argument about what if the resurrection doesn't die, he says, but in fact, the fact is, historically fact, Jesus Christ came to earth. That's what we celebrate Christmas about. That he came and died and he rose again. And according to the scriptures, and he brings out then that he saw Jesus. There were hundreds of people who saw Jesus. And they evidenced him. And they touched his body, which is the resurrected body, not just a spirit, but it was actually a body and that the resurrection did place, take place. And Paul kind of continues that argument here. He said, why bother if the dead are not raised? Now, Paul says something very strange in this verse. It's a unique verse. And it's a verse that basically he's pointing to a cult that was outside the city gates of Corinth who did believe in the resurrection. But they also believed in burying, baptizing the dead because they were afraid their loved ones didn't make it. And Paul says, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized from the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they to baptize for them? Now, Paul is speaking. In this passage, this, this verse is very hard to understand. But because we know that this group of people was outside the gates and they had adopted this, this, this action of baptizing their dead. Back in 1840, the group of Mormons took this verse and now they have a doctrine where they baptize the dead. They have the greatest de geological, they say they have a great geological, um, uh, not geological, but um, uh, they, they have all people's Relatives and stuff like that. Ge I can't remember. I can't say it now. I'm losing it on my ge geologies of all families and backs. And what they do is they baptize those who have not been baptized. It's a proxy baptism. 
And they think that's what that verse means. But Paul is not saying that here. Paul is not for proxy baptism, but he is saying and using them as an illustration that these people believed that there was something after life and they were baptizing their dead. Wouldn't that be foolish to do that if there's no resurrection? Then Paul goes on to say in his own life, why would he bother to get beat up, persecuted, near death, if the resurrection of Jesus was not true? Look what he says here. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought the wild beast at Ephesus, was it that profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober as you ought. Stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak to this to your shame. Paul is now saying, look, I've been through it. I've gone through some tough times. And I've gone through almost death experience because of this gospel that I preach. And he says, do not change your thinking because what was going on, there were people who they were hanging out. He says, watch out who you hang with. Because these people who do not believe in the resurrection of the body, they're affecting the Christians. So he says to them, do not hang with bad company. They're influencing you. They're changing your mind. And Paul is saying that because he's concerned about how easy it is to be influenced, to change theology and what, the, what is true to make it fit to our own category. I've seen it before. You have too. A people who have a loved one who claims to be, wants to be disobedient or doesn't want to follow. I know a theologian who I totally respect but he changed his theology into what is called annihilationism. That is when you die and a person is out Christ dies, they go to hell and they only burn for a while, but then they finally burn out and they're totally just become nothing. And there are Christians who believe this and they don't believe that the Bible says, as Jesus says, that hell's a fire and brimstone and it's eternal. When you reject Christ, you will die eternally, forever. And the flames and the torture and the grinding of teeth will always be there. That's the New Testament says. But these have tried to use this theology because this fellow's father rejected Jesus Christ and would not give his life to Christ, even on his deathbed. And that theologian changed his thing because he, wanted, he didn't want to believe that his father is still in hell, burning up and going through all that torture. Now, we see this in our world, do we not? How many people do you know that were good, solid Christians who believe the Bible and yet who have adopted the homosexual life of God, even though the Bible says it's an abomination, they've accepted it because their son or their daughter or, or their grandchild has accepted that lifestyle. And they don't want to be condemning. You see, it's very easy then to try to fit it into your own drama. And it's tragic because the truth is in the word. And Paul is saying that to these folks today. He's saying to them, Christ died and he rose again. This is why I bother to allow myself to be persecuted. And that why I can believe what I do as far as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I suffer for that. He talks about this beast in Ephesus. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about actual animals that came out to try to eat him? No. Paul was going through and he was preaching in Ephesus. And at that time, Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he had a great, great business making idols. Little idols people could take home and they'd buy them and they'd take them and set them up in their home. And he was with a group of people who was hearing Paul and got nervous about Paul talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and about life everlasting. Because you see, if people began to believe what Paul was saying, they would stop buying those little idols 
and it would affect their business, and they'd lose business. And so the union that he was in and with these people, they drag him to a theater and they want to kill Paul. And Paul is talking about Demetrius, who's the leader of this pack, who wanted to kill him because he was ruining their business of making these idols and people from buying them. And so Paul says this, why do I go through all this? Because he says, I believe in the resurrection. That you and I will not die and end. Our spirits will be with the Lord. And then when Christ returns, our bodies will be joined with our spirit. Right after we die, we will be in the presence of the Lord. But when Christ returns, our bodies will be redeemed. When Adam and Eve took part in the apple or the fruit in the Garden of Eden, they caused a curse upon all the land. That we have a propensity inside of us that we want to sin. That not only would we sin, but our bodies will start dying. That we'll be getting diseases and all kinds of that come under the curse. That's why my father and my, my mother both died of cancer. Because this world has that in it because it's under the curse. But I know that I will see them again because of the resurrection. And it's just not a resurrection of our spirits, friends. It's the resurrection of our bodies. Christ not only came to redeem our spirits, but here he's talking about the resurrection of the body. You see, the resurrection, a lot of people don't desire it. Because they know that if they do have a resurrection, we will be accountable for what we do with our bodies. We'll stand before the Lord about how we've used them. And there's some people who know what they're doing with their bodies are wrong. And Christ can forgive anyone for those sins. But if you want to keep on doing it, you don't want to believe in the resurrection of the body. They have to change their way. And Paul is speaking the resurrection to these Gnostics to these people of Corinth who want to do whatever they want with their bodies still, and they don't care. But there are also some people who won't believe in the resurrection because they think it's impossible. The Sadducees were a Jewish cult group that did not believe that there was life after death. And that you have these other philosophies that don't believe that there's life after death. And that your body's not important. That makes it very convenient. But Paul speaks very clearly and says, not only is your spirit going to be raised, but your body is very important and it will be raised. And there are people who come along and say, how is he going to raise it? How is he going to do that with the person who is eaten by the shark? How is he going to do that for those people who were incinerated in 9-11? How is God going to do that? In colonial America, Roger Williams was the first Baptist on the soil of America, in colonial America. And when he died, they put him in a prominent spot and they put a tree over it where he was buried. But then they decided they wanted him in a more prominent spot, so they dug him up and they found ashes. And they found a tree root going right through the middle of his coffin where his body was. He was just dust. And some of the people who were there that were skeptical, well, does that mean that people who came and got an apple off the tree were really eating a part of Roger Williams? Did he fertilize that apple and that that's part of him? And how is God going to raise that from the dead? See, skeptics don't know that God is overpowerful. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. As he called Adam and Eve together, as he drew out of the dust of the earth to bring Adam, a young man, full of life and vigor, you don't think that God can bring out of the dust of the earth of what our bodies are and what have they been broken down to into new formulated bodies? He can those new formulated bodies are going to be different 
They're going to be alive and well and, and beyond what we've ever imagined or thought. You see, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the glory of his body. We're going to become like Jesus Christ. By the exertion of his power that he is even to subject all things unto himself. That's how he's going to do it. We saw the shortness of Jesus' life. And how he lived in a lowly body here on this earth. But the disciples also saw that glory of body. That was raised. And it's beyond anything that you and I could ever think about or understand. And Paul goes to nature. And he tries to get people to see and get us to see how important this is. Look what he says. He says, but some of you will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is it to be but a bare grain, perhaps the wheat or something else. But God gives us the body just as he wished. And each of the seeds of the body its own. All flesh is like, not, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is a flesh of men and there's a flesh of beast and another flesh of birds and another flesh of fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is one and the glory of the earthly body is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and the stars differ from the star of glory. You see, first Paul goes to botany. And he says to these intellectual people, look at what happens when you put an ugly seed in the ground. I don't know about you, but we were in, Sandy and I were in Holland, Michigan for several years, and then in Pella, Iowa. And they always have these tulip festivals. And they had put these bulbs that are disgustingly ugly in the ground. And they plant them all over the city. But then in May, at the spring, they come up and it is a beautiful tulips of multi-different colors. And Paul is saying this about us. He says, when you get buried in the grave, it's ugly. Our bodies are ugly. And they go into the grave but they will raise this glorious body, beautiful in every which way. In fact, they found seeds in King Tut's uh, uh, grave, which was put in 3,000 years ago. And here they found the seeds in that room and they planted them and they came up to be plants. And Paul is saying that to us. He's saying, you're put in the ground, but you're going to be raised so much better than you are now. He goes then to zoology. And he look what he says. He says, there's different kinds of flesh that bodies have. We have 600 octillion amino acids running around to make us up. And each one of us is different. Even identical twins are not identical, really. And we're all different. As you watch the snow that'll come down this winter, there's not one flake that's the same. And Paul is saying, you are not the same. God created you in such a fashion and way. And we see that in Psalm 139, how he fashioned us in our mother's womb with certain genetic qualities for what we are gifted for, for ministry today in this earth. And Paul says this. To remind us that we are going to be different when we're raised again. And then he calls about on astronomy. He says, look at the stars in the sky. And look at all the stuff that's going on out there. The moon in its glory. The sun in its glory. And the stars. And if you were to go look at it through a telescope, you'd see different colors. Millions of miles away. But they're all different. And Paul said that's what he does with our bodies. He makes us new. And that we'll know each other. Some people ask me, will we know each other in heaven? Sure we will. 
Throughout the scriptures, we see that happen. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David even says it about his baby that was born dead. That he'll know his baby and talk to him. Because he'll be an adult. Jesus, when he was asked a question to tripped up by the Pharisees, be tripped up by the Pharisees, he says, don't you know? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're alive. They're in heaven, walking around. When we see the disciples at the transfiguration, hear Moses and Elijah come back. And they have bodies that they can recognize. And that they are able to communicate with each other. And that people were able to recognize who they were. The disciples did. Because their, lambs were named, their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We see that when Jesus talks about the Lazarus and the poor man. Who's, and, and, and Lazarus uh, sees this rich man burning in, in hell. And they have a conversation. You see, the Bible is very clear here, folks. That God knows you and me individually. And we're going to keep our personalities, but they're going to be so much more better refined and better because we no longer have sin in them. And we're going to become beautiful. And what it looks like, this is what he says. And so also the resurrection of the dead. is sown perishable body. It is released imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. And there is a natural body and there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Adam, became a living spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also those who are earthly. And as it is in heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly, which he's talking about as Christ. And what he's saying here, there's number one going to be a durability about us. We are not going to fade. We're not going to fall apart. We are not going to have our problems. We're not going to be perishable. But we're going to be imperishable. And that our bodies are not going to be like Lazarus who was raised out of the grave. Jesus went and when he was dead, he brought him back out of the grave, but he still was raised in imperishable, a perishable body. He still had to die again after Jesus rose from him and he will come back again. But in the meantime, when he was on earth, he was raised to live again. But only in this life, which Paul says, is in the weakness, in the dishonor. But the resurrection, see, the body is imperishable. It doesn't need decay. It doesn't need embalming. It lives forever. And that new body is a glorious body that reflects Jesus Christ. The value is so far beyond what we could ever have imagined. You see, a corpse doesn't have any rights. And it's perishable. But the resurrection body has all the rights of heaven. And it's perfect. And we have strength, but it gets weak in this life. And Paul says we get sicknesses and illnesses, and that's the earthly body. But the heavenly body will not experience that. There'll be no pain, no suffering, no illness. And Paul says this body is sown in dishonor. We're a dead person. Have you ever been at the place? I've been at a scene where seen several times where people have died. And if you want to see something, you know, I know some people who don't even want to go out of their house without makeup on. One of the most dishonorable things is, is that when you die, your body lets go. You have no more muscle strength. And your bowels and everything just cut loose. And it's very embarrassing if you were alive. But because of his dishonor, that we die, that's what happens. But notice what he says. 
those who die in Christ will be raised in an imperishable body. And our bodies will be new. They're going to be different as we receive from Adam the propensity to sin. As we receive from Adam, we inherited the curse over us to get these sicknesses and those. As we see from Adam, we received death. That is no more. Because we will be like Jesus. That's what we're going to be like. Now there's some speculation. When we rise, what age will we be? One pastor said he thought it was age 33 because that's when Jesus was crucified. That's pure speculation, folks. There's some people who believe that we're going to be raised like Adam when he was first made by God. At the peak of his physical ability. And that we'll have new bodies. But this is all speculation. But what the Bible does say that God will transform these lowly bodies into his glorious body, just like him. And that we will have bodies like him, that after he rose from the dead, there were times that he was seen in Galilee, and then he went up to the Sea of Galilee, and he didn't walk. When Jesus rose from the dead, what happened to the disciples? They were sitting in the upper room, scared, doors locked, windows shut tight, and all of a sudden Christ appears. And you will have that capacity. And no matter where you want to be, you can be there. If you think a moment that you want to be on another planet, you can be there. See, this is the bodies that we will have in Christ. And that there will be no sickness to us. That the resurrected body, though, will have. And as Jesus said it, he's touched me. He says, because spirit doesn't have bones and flesh. He said that to Thomas. We will have bones. We will have flesh. But they will not decay. They will not be sick or withered. And the resurrection body can be touched and handled. We'll converse. And we'll even eat. Jesus in his resurrected body sat down with disciples and ate with them. And that Jesus was present and they recognized him. You see, this is the beauty that we're going to have when we're resurrected. Our bodies are not going to be just spirits. They're going to be super natural bodies that will be able to do what Christ was doing when he was resurrected and then after he makes us new Michael Faraday one day was in his lab he was a famous chemist doing scientific research and while he was doing his research they brought in a visitor who was going to help donate some money for a project that he was on she was a very wealthy woman, and she came in, and she had this beautiful gold bracelet on and beautiful chains and everything. And while they were talking, she was making some gestures with her hands, and their latch on her gold bracelet broke, and it fell into a tab of acid. And they saw that caustic acid as it splashed just disintegrate that beautiful piece of gold jewelry. But he said to her, don't worry. And he added an agent to that. And what happened was the residue of the gold formulated down at the bottom. They drained it. And they took the residue of the gold. And he took it to a jeweler. And that jeweler reformed that bracelet. To be a more beautiful bracelet than that one's before. And folks, that's what God is going to do with us when we raise from the dead. These bodies that may be burned up because they've been incinerated 
or that they've decayed in a coffin in the ground and been eaten by worms, will be brought back together. The pieces of the residue of our body and our powerful God will reform us into the image of his son and that we'll be recognized by each other. That's the wonderful gift our God gives us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the hope that we have in you, Christ. We thank you for the hope we have in the resurrected body. I pray, Jesus, that we will use these bodies for your glory and for your honor. That, Father, that we can be obedient servants to you. We thank you, Lord, that this is not it. Even as our bodies fail and fall apart and diminish, what a wonderful thing we have looking forward to of a new body that you formed us in with no pain, no sorrow, no diseases, but fully functional and glorified in a way that we've never been able to do before. We give you praise for this wonderful hope that we will live for you and die with you, will be raised with you forever. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction and sing our closing song. Now the God of grace and great mercy be with and abide with you this week and empower you with his Holy Spirit as you go into the world to share the word of God through your lives. Amen.